Okay, um, Josh Corey is going to come and talk with us, which is an absolute privilege. He's, he's a great friend. He's a specific friend to Donnie, and Donnie's going to give a f- more formal introduction a little bit later. He's going to be doing another session, but for now, we're just going to welcome him and open up our hearts to him. So, Josh, come on. All right. Thank you, guys. How are we doing? Uh, so I hope you know that what you just got in that last session was probably the best talk I've ever heard on the Holy Spirit's work in the church. So uh, I hope you took notes and got that down and started processing that because that was excellent. Um, so, so let me set up where we're going to go for the next couple of minutes. This is not going to be a preach in this session. What we want to do is transition just a, a, a bit and take the foundation that's been laid in the last few sessions. And we want to get into a little bit of praxis. We want to get super practical, and what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is just sort of set up the idea of every member being a missionary, and then I want to kick it to you guys for us to do some Q&A and then to share some best practices. Does that make sense? So be thinking, um, let this stimulate some thought, write out your questions, and then don't be falsely humble, man. If there's something that's working in your context and the Holy Spirit is drawing people to Jesus like crazy using that tool, uh, tell us about it. Amen? So I'm going to pray for you, you pray for me, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you so very much for these men and women. God, I thank you for all the different stories that are in this room. God, I thank you that though there's this beautiful corporate thing happening, that there's also individuals, and you're aware of both. So Lord, would you meet us in the next couple of minutes? Would you fill us up? Would you help us to go home and be more faithful and more fruitful as missionaries? God, we are not asking you to make us the rock star, superstar pastors and leaders so that we get to do all the ministry. That's not your church. We're asking you to help us to be better at training and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Help us to have a better vision of what it means to be on mission in our city for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so take your Bible for just a second and go Ephesians 4. I want to read just a couple of verses, and then we'll dive in. Ephesians chapter 4, PJ talked about Ephesians 4 ministry last night, and I just want to remind you of the purpose of leadership in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He who descended, Jesus, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. Uh, We're not going to talk about it right now, but the phrase fill all things is pointing to the cosmic scope of the mission of God, the missio dei, uh, that that God is on mission not just to do a little bit of social justice and not just to do a little bit of personal evangelism, but he's actually reworking and renewing the entire cosmos through the work of Jesus, right? He's filling all things. And then look at this great strategy. How is he going to do this? What's he doing on planet earth? Verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do what? To be rock stars, right? Uh, To be served. To be the ones that do all the ministry. To be the ones that do all the praying for the sick and all the evangelism and all the conferences. No! What's the point of Christian ministry? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So if you're a leader in the room, that means that your job is not to be, it's not to be the one that's 
meeting with every single non-Christian in your city and putting that burden on your shoulders. It's not your job to think that you have the magic wand or the evangelistic fairy dust to throw on people. It's your job to come alongside the saints of God. It's your job to equip them and train them and empower them with the truth of the word so that they can follow Jesus on mission, filled by the Holy Spirit, to live out their calling in their context. So what I want to do is, we, is we're thinking about this idea of the members, the saints of God being missionaries. I want to invite you into a wrestle with these tensions, right? There, there's these missional tensions in our churches. And, and what we want to do with tensions usually is we want to resolve the tension. But when we resolve the tension, we lose the beauty of the tension, right? There's these missional tensions in our context. And, and those tensions are like, it's like breathing, right? So take a deep breath. There comes a point where you have to exhale, correct? And then when you exhale, there comes a point where you have to breathe again. That's what the tension of missionary work in the local church feels like. And so here are the tensions, right? Here are these tensions that we need to inhabit in our local churches. The first tension we want to invite God's people into is the tension between the church gathered and scattered. Gathered and scattered. Hey, Donnie, will you tell me when my 20 minutes is up? Thanks. This is the tension between the church gathered and scattered. Let me give you a question to wrestle through this tension. Should the saints go to church or should the saints be the church? Right? Do, they, do we go to church or do we be, to church, be the church? Because there's this really popular thing right now to say, hey, man, don't just go to church, be the church. And I say, yes, like let's be the church between Sundays. But here's what we see in the tension. To be missionaries on mission in our city, the people that we serve and lead, they have to understand that the church gathered has power to bring in the glory of God to a city. And then the church scatters on mission between Sundays. Things happen on Sunday as the church gathers that are essential for the evangelization of our city. As we proclaim the gospel, as we gather together and bring our non-Christian friends and they experience the fencing of the table of the Lord. Right? And they hear the goodness of the invitation of Jesus to come and to trust him. Like things happen in the church gathered that are not available between Sundays. But things happen between Sundays that are just as sacred and beautiful as what happens on Sunday. And so what we've got to do with our people is envision them to see that their role as a saint gathering is to go up together to Zion in worship, to, to stand before the presence of God and to actually invite their neighbors and friends to come and hear the great news of the gospel. Uh, let me put it like this. It's really interesting. Maybe your context is sort of post-Christian. Mine's burned over with religion. And what's interesting is that most people that get saved in our city, they get saved because non-Christians have been building relationship with them. They've been sharing the gospel and then they have the courage to not just invite them to church, but they brought them to church. And as they sat under the preaching of the word, as they heard the gospel unpacked, God did something in their hearts and they were saved, right? So, so let's emphasize the church gathered and let's invite the saints to participate and let's emphasize the church scattered because it's a both and. Second tension quickly. This is the tension between the global and the local mission of God. Is the great commission about the nations or is the great commission about neighbors? both, man. It's about the nations and it's about our neighbors. And what happens as we train and equip the saints to think globally on mission, they get caught up in the epic scope of the gospel. 
They begin to see the size and the scale of the gospel. They begin to see the beauty of the church. They begin to get a vision that the church is this amazing gathering that's going to meet in all eternity, that's going to look like a bag of Skittles spilled out. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, worshiping Jesus with different accents, as they start to get a grid for God's heart for the nations and the way they can participate with their giving and their going and their praying, they start to see that their local context is a part of that great global mission of God. So what we want to do in this inhabiting of tension missionally is we want to envision our people as we talk about global work, global mission, global church planning. We want to do that regularly, but we also want to emphasize neighbors, context, localities, where they work, where they play. Because the reality is this, man, like the church of Jesus is, is the most global movement in the history of humanity, but it's also the most local movement in the history of humanity, right? It's nations and it's people groups, but it's also the corner store. It's the barista at Starbucks that needs to meet Jesus. And we have to hold this tension and preach both. Uh, third tension. This is the tension between proclamation of the gospel and demonstration of the kingdom. Do we tell the gospel or do we show the kingdom? Right? Do we tell the gospel or do we show the kingdom? Uh, in my tribe, we want to talk a lot about proclaiming the gospel. And, and I say yes to that, right? Like, the gospel is not something you show people. The gospel is a message people hear. Right? And, unless the message of the good news of Jesus goes from our mouths to people's ears, people aren't going to get saved. We have to preach the gospel, we have to share the gospel, we have to tell the gospel, but at the very same time, like, there is a kingdom that's broken into planet earth, and Jesus said we should pray for that kingdom to come, for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, and here's what happens, as we engage our cities with good deeds, with prayer for the sick, with the work of justice, people start to get a taste of what it looks like under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we want to invite the saints into this beautiful tension of like, hey man, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. We have to tell people about Jesus, but the kingdom of God also needs to be demonstrated. Like, how beautiful is it that Jesus has margin in his heart to care about immortal souls in your city and to also care about little kids having a playground where they're not going to get shot in a drive-by? Like, how beautiful is Jesus that he cares about both? And what would happen as churches if we stepped into that tension and were unapologetic in our proclamation of the gospel? We were absolutely passionate about evangelism, but at the same time, if our church disappeared, like non-Christians would mourn because we made the city a better place. We gave people a taste of the shalom of God. Fourth tension, quickly. This is the tension, this is the tension between truth and love truth and love. Here's the question. Should our churches be marked by courage or compassion? And again, like it's, it's both. We want to invite the saints into this missional tension in which we are unapologetic in our commitment to the word of God. We're, we're not afraid of offending. We're not afraid of being persecuted. We're not afraid of being countercultural. We're bold with truth, but at the same time as we're proclaiming that truth, we're doing so with empathy and compassion in a winsome and wise way. Here's the reality. Um, if you are afraid to preach on things like hell, then there's a cowardice that's set into your heart. 
But if you can stand up and unpack the reality of hell and do so without weeping as people are heading there, there's a compassion that's missing from your heart. And what we want for the people of God is to raise up missionaries that hold truth and hold love because Jesus embodies truth and love. We want to invite them into that tension. Uh, Fifth tension. This is the tension between the equippers and the equipped. The equippers and the equipped. Here's the question. Who are the ministers in our churches? Well, the reality is that there's two kinds of ministers in your churches. There are equipping ministers that train and empower the saints. And then there are the saints that do the work of ministry. So here's what this looks like. Um, This means that we actually have to have a robust ecclesiology that makes room for elders and deacons, but that doesn't undercut our doctrine of vocation. Uh, Here's the reality of the Protestant Reformation, right? Like there are two beautiful things that came out of it. One was reclaiming the solas that the Reformation fought for. Like we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's beautiful. But they also fought for the reclaiming of the doctrine of vocation. That every man and every woman in your church has a divine calling. And there's not two classes of Christians. There aren't like the varsity Christians that are really called ones that plant churches and go overseas. And then there's the junior varsity Christians and their only job is to make it to retirement. Right? We're all called. And what starts to happen as you preach this, what starts to happen is that people start to get a vision for what it means to be a homemaker to the glory of God. They start to get a vision for what it means to be a banker for the glory of God and an artist for the glory of God. They start to see what it means to live in the marketplace. And actually, they start to count that as as being an act of worship, not just being a job to pay bills. Right? And when that starts to happen, the fragrance of their work starts to point people to Jesus. We want to talk about the equippers and the equipped, and we want to do both. The last tension quickly, we want to invite the people of God into the tension between depth, depth, and accessibility. Depth and accessibility. So here's the question. Do we engage theology or do we engage culture? Do you see how we divorce these tensions out again and again? It's like, well, I want to be really deep theologically. I want to read a lot of dead guys. I really, really understand the gold that's in word in the word. I want to mine it. Or it's like, well, I don't really want to do that. So our Sunday morning, it's just going to feel like a rock show or like a talk show. And here's the reality. There's this missional tension about being a follower of Jesus where we actually get to think deeply. Like, can I just say this out loud? Like, um, most of the great grand doctrines of the Christian faith, they're just not simple. There is complexity to God, correct? We have to worship and love God with our heads as well as our hearts. And we want to invite the saints into the hard work of thinking deeply about God's glory. Thinking deeply about the church. What this means is like on Sundays, you get 52 weeks a year. You don't get any throwaway words on Sundays. You don't get any throwaway songs on Sundays. Right? Every song, every song should preach a little bit and every sermon should sing a little bit. This means like on Sunday mornings, as you gather, we're trying to take people deep into the things of God because here's the reality. Suffering's coming for them. And if you don't help them to think deeply about who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ, you're not preparing them for the dark days that are coming. We want to go deep, but here's what we want to do as well. We want to be accessible. 
We don't want to be eggheads. We don't want to be people that always talk in definitions with no, or, or in terms with no definitions. We want to meet people where they are and invite them into the beauty of the truth of God's word. Right? So here's what we do. Uh, I want my people to understand what the hypostatic union is. Why? Because I want them to win like Bible trivia and be theological geeks that are puffed up and eggheaded. No, I want them to understand what it actually means because it'll lead to worship. It'll lead to mission. It'll lead to joy. The word propitiation makes me want to shout. It's the best word I can think of, right? I want our people to understand what it means and the depth behind that word. And so as we invite the people of God into these tensions, our job is not to do all the work of ministry. It's to help people to step into these tensions and follow Jesus on mission. Now, here's what's great as we close this out. Um, Jesus is the embodiment of life and tension. He just is, man. He's the lion and the lamb. He's God and man. He's, he's the king of the universe, and he's your intimate friend. And so it's in Christ, it's in Christ that we can navigate, that we can walk through these missional tensions and help equip and empower the saints of God to be more faithful and more fruitful on mission. Amen? Okay. Thoughts, questions, ideas, go. Thank you. And as you guys ask questions, we have 10 minutes for questions, correct? Awesome. So we have 10 minutes for questions. As you guys ask questions, I, I may take a couple or I may throw some to these folks up front as well. So go for it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great, great question. So it's like when you emphasize deep discipleship in your church, does that take you away from emphasizing mission and evangelism? Right. Or when you start to realize that your small groups or your missional communities suck and you start working on those, your Sunday starts to become crummy. Or is that just our church? Right. So, so how do you walk that out? And, and I think, I think the answer to that is a couple things. I think, I think one, that's where that's where diversity of gifting in your team really matters, right? Because there's going to be different guys on your team that, that bring strength in different areas. And if all the guys have the same gift set and if they all have the same perspective, then you're going to have a really, you're going to have a really um, one-dimensional team and church. So we want diversity in our team. And then that's also where the Spirit of God comes in, right? Like it's the Spirit of God that holds up evangelism and discipleship not as two different things but as one thing. That's only po possible through his work and through his activity. So I think it leads us to dependence. And my, my hope in sharing those tensions was to start to raise awareness, right? Because if you have awareness that we need to live in those tensions, you can then go back and look at your local church and start to evaluate where are we not in tension, right? Uh, we, we really do scattering well, but Sunday, man, the church gathered is kind of anemic. Or we really gather well, but we don't scatter well. We, we want to navigate both of those things. And, and can we just admit, it's, it's hard work and it's never going to be done until we die, but that's what we signed up for. Yes, sir. Great question. Um, okay, so 
th there's great tools and resources out there, but the number one best, I think, is when we as ministers of the gospel, as proclaimers of the gospel, when every single time we stand up to preach, we're aware that we need the gospel as bad as every other person in the room, that, that starts to take it out of the realm of, here's the worst thing we do to grace, right? We make grace a theological construct alone. Don't get me wrong, it is a theological construct, but as soon as we make it just a theological construct and not a relational experience of the love of God, then all of a sudden it's like we're unpacking a VCR manual instead of having this beautiful moment where, where we're proclaiming truth, but we're worshiping as we do it. So for me, I know when I start to drift away from being moved by the gospel, the people are going to follow. When I am when I'm both devastated and, and lifted high by the gospel every single Sunday, people are going to participate in that. They're going to feel that. Um, I want every sermon, I want every sermon to be um, as much worship as what we sang with the hymns. Does that make sense? So I think that that's the first thing. Like, let's pursue it for ourselves. And then training and equipping and books. There's tons of great resources out there. And Donnie's got some great stuff on contextualization. PJ's stuff is fantastic. I, I think you can find those things, but it starts with our hearts being soft and moved. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's good. Scrap everything else. Yeah. That's great, dude. Okay, so let me go let me go a little bit more theological, philosophical, and then answer it as practically as I can. I think to frame this, to frame how we approach it, I think we need to put prayer work and then people work and then project work as our priorities. Right? Like you just look at the New Testament, like the apostolic model is like starts with prayer work and then there's people work and then there's project work. And, and so I think with whatever's wrong in our churches, it needs to start with prayer. And then, and then it's you as a team, an eldership team getting on the same page. And then whatever implementation and projects and processes that are needed, that, that's the third thing. All three of those things matter, but if you reverse the order, you're going to be in trouble. Right? Um, the second thing is I, I think an eldership team can only really focus on kind of three must-wins at a time. And so in our church, what we do is a, about once a year, maybe twice a year, we have a time of prayer, fasting, planning, discussing, debating. And, and as a team, we come up with what our three must-wins are. We don't have four. We don't have ten. We got three things. Like here, here are three things that have to be adjusted in this church or three new initiatives or three things that are happening that we've got to address because you just can't, you can't focus on 20 things. You're already doing so much. So I would encourage you to approach it like that. Uh, if you realize that like six, six out of six of these tensions are off in the church, you're not going to fix all that at once, but you can prayerfully tackle maybe three in the next year. Uh, any other thoughts, questions? Yes, sir. Yeah.
That's right, man. So good, man. That's an excellent word. The other thing about that, too, is like I, I realize is I'm, I'm still too young to be doing what I do, but I'm getting older, thank God. And what I realize is like in the adolescence of ministry, we want to do everything fast. And, man, nothing, nothing good happens fast. Right? Like we, we want the people of God to be like oaks of righteousness. Have you ever seen an oak tree grow? So I think part, part of it is just, you know, like I'm just, like I, I live with an urgency. If, if I'm going to make a mistake, it's because I'm going too quickly. And I do think there's, a, there's, some, there's some gold in that, but there's also a lot of shadow in that. And I think if we slow down just a little bit, if we'll start thinking transgenerationally and take the long view of life and ministry, we can, we can actually lay deeper foundations and go further together. Okay, uh, we got time for maybe one more. Yes, sir. Dude, thanks for setting me up for that. I like you. Thanks for getting my back. Okay, great word. So here's the deal, man. Like, if you're an equipper, you're first a Christian. Does that make sense? So you're both an equipper, but you're also a saint. And that means the stuff that we're preaching and the stuff that we're equipping and training in, it starts with us actually living it and doing it, right? I mean, the, the people in our churches are not going to be on mission if we're not on mission. So here are your priorities. It's first Christian, right? First Christian, it's second spouse, third parent if you're married, and, and fourth minister of the gospel. Keep that in order. If that stays in order, then you're going to know, like, um, I'm supposed to know my neighbors. And I love to, to tell our people that in our church. I love to get to say, hey, man, like, it's your job to know your neighbors, not my job, because my job is to know my neighbors. <laughs> okay, let, let me pray for you guys, and we'll go to the next session. God, thank you so much for your mission. Thank you that you're active, that you're working. Uh, thank you for that word in Ephesians that, that you are filling all things. We trust you, God. We want to see your glory. We want to see more impact in our cities. Um, Lord, I just pray for greater gospel proclamation in our towns, for uh, more clarity of preaching, teaching, and sharing, and more of the raw power of the Spirit to convict and pierce hearts and regenerate. I pray that you would pour out your Spirit on our towns that multitudes would be saved. Um, God, I pray that you would expand our faith to stop believing the lie that our contacts just is too hard to see the gospel work. God, help us to repent of the lies we've believed and help us to expand our faith because, Jesus, you are alive. You are on the throne. We believe in the resurrection. So take us home and let us see all the things that we read about. Lives change. Cities turned upside down. Let us see it happen in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.